0: And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time
0: and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars limited
1: time only price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer single item at regular price
0: ba hey my friends we will be right back to the show but I have a question for you are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma well know that you're not alone Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world. I'm Michael Anthony, author, speaker, coach, and advocate for adult survivors of childhood trauma. And of course, you're listening to the Michael Unbroken podcast. Today, I am visited with a very cool guy, special close friend,
2: Kaylor Betts. Kaylor, how are you, my friend? What is going on? Well, first off, man, I have to up my intro game in my podcast. You just inspired me. That, that was like, you could say that in your sleep. Okay. Um I, I'm doing great, man. I, I I'm just up here in cold Canada and I uh, got my toque on, so I'm a little bit warmer than usual and I'm ready to have a good conversation, man.
0: Nice, man. I'm stoked to have you here. Um, you know, I was on I was on your podcast and I, I don't frequently, if ever, be like, yo, I need to have this person on. And that's not a negative thing to say about anyone whose shows I've been on, but I try to be very niche in the people I bring on. And those people are often people who have overcome or created, or when we are listening and having this conversation, someone can hear it and go, wow. All right. I understand something about myself or the world differently. And and that's how I feel about you, man. So I'm really excited to have you on baseline because I would assume a lot of people will not know who you are coming into this talk to me about your journey talk to me about the place you are right now and and talk to me about mental well
2: yeah so i'll give you the cliff notes um you know i always say that i am someone who really struggled for the majority of my life up until the last like truly the last few years i've been on this obsessive journey of personal growth uh, you know for the last 12 years But really up until the last few years, I really have lived in a battle with my mind. And that's commonly what I'll say to just give you the cliff notes of, you know, who I am and and what I've experienced. And when I say a battle with my mind, I mean depression, anxiety, ADHD, addiction tendencies, and just really not knowing what the hell was wrong with me, quite honestly. And and we can obviously get into the topic of that's a whole other problem in that, you know, most people suffering from mental health, specifically people who are younger, don't really know really what it it is. And I think we've moved the needle forward in that regard a little bit. But because I struggled so much, Michael, and I was an athlete. So I was really, it was always ingrained in me, this ambition, this discipline, this like wanting to strive for growth. I think that's what kind of gave me that ambition. So you mix that with me really struggling mentally, and added in you know, actually being, you know, in my DNA from sports that you should want to grow and get better. That just created this monster where I've just now again, been on this obsessive journey for the last 12 years. And I'm talking just personal growth, personal development, and I'm talking mind, body and spirit. For whatever reason, I've always had this inclination to get out of this battle with my mind that I've had. And I've always known that there's got to be a better way kind of thing. And, you know, on this journey, you name it, I've probably tried it. You name a personal growth book, I've probably read it. You know, you name a TED talk, I've probably seen it, you know, an article, I have probably read it. And a mentor I, or a guru out there, I probably follow him the, the Tony Robbins of the worlds, the Jim Rohns, if we want to go back, you know, to the OGs. And now, nowadays it's the, you know, the Dr. Joe Dispenza's it's, it's, I'm just obsessed with getting better. And I'm, I've finally now reached this point where I have this unimaginable life. Um, in comparison to where I was, you know, if you would have looked at, you know, a few years ago, if you would have told me that I'd be here now doing the things that I'm doing, I mean, I would have told you you're crazy and I'm very happy to be here, but I'm also, I'm um, very humble when I say it because it's been blood, sweat, and tears. It really has. It hasn't been easy. But I've gone to this place and one day, brother, I was sitting on my couch and I thought, you know, I got to brand this into something and I got to really call it something. And it just hit me like a brick wall. I thought I've created mental wealth. You know, we've, we're all out there trying to create financial wealth and wealth in all these different realms of our lives. And we talk about mental health. But how often do we talk about mental wealth? And really what I've learned is that's where it starts. It's the internal that creates our external realities. So Man, that's that, where that's, I'm at now.
0: That's beautiful. It's, it's powerful. And I think, you, you know, so many things come to mind to, to start with. I think from the outside looking in, people would look at you and go, this guy, depression, anxiety, addiction behaviors, no way. And then you dive deeper and you go, oh, well. This is so ingrained and instilled in so many people. And then on the backside of it, you go struggle, hardships, fighting through it. Like that comes from a place. And what I'm really curious about, you said, and, and I relate to this in such a real way. It is an obsession for me to be better. And that what's really fascinating about it is that obsession is only a measure of me versus me. There is no other catalyst in my life. It is only me in the direction that I'm willing to step into. What does obsession mean in your life? And how do you do it in a way that it doesn't actually overtake you?
2: Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is it does overtake me. You know, I deal with perfectionism. I have perfectionistic tendencies. And that's what happens when you come from a sense of unworthy when you have a deep seated belief in your psychology that you are inferior and inadequate in this world, and you're just not good enough, no matter what's going on in your life, then you're just on this journey of consistently chasing, uh, you know, the external factors that are going to finally validate that you're good enough. I mean, that's just the cycle that we get into. Now, everyone should have a little bit of a feeling of inferiority. If you don't, well, we're just going to sit on our couch and do nothing all day, right? We would just never feel a need to go out and achieve anything. So a little bit of it's healthy, but I just had a lot of it. And quite honestly, it's been, you know, Michael, my whole life, it's been this balance of like, okay, it's healthy to go out and educate yourself and try all of these things that are going to bring about personal growth and development and 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 better your your highest quality of life but just like with anything in life it's got to be balanced right because i can get too obsessed and where i can get into trouble is sometimes thinking that if i'm not doing something or i'm not learning something it's not okay right and that guilt that you can feel when you're you know oh i haven't listened to a podcast today or i haven't you know read a book in a, in a little bit and that's a real thing that I have to manage. And I just, you know, over time, I've just been able to kind of balance it. And, you know, presence really helps. That's where my spiritual journey comes in, because it's balanced with the fact that, you know what, at the end of the day, you actually have all the answers within, right? If, if you really sit there and reflect, and even in a meditation, I can, with clearing my, my brain and getting into the, the theta wave state, I can actually learn more about myself in that state with nothing in my head than I can from, you know, a Tony Robbins book or a TED talk or something like that. So hopefully that answers your question. I have to acknowledge one other thing that you mentioned, Michael, because I think it's so important. Is you said, from the outside looking in, like, look at me and you would say, this guy doesn't look like he was in a battle with his mind. It's so important to acknowledge, and I'm going to be honest, Michael, your story in comparison to mine, I know a little bit about your story because you came on my podcast, your story in comparison to mine, it it puts my story to shame, right? As far as like, if we were to put it in a movie or a book, right? My story looks like like I was living in uh, heaven compared to yours. Now, that's important to acknowledge because we all have our own standards. Right. And like, I actually, for me had a pretty good upbringing from the outside looking in, you know, I, we were like middle-class, weren't super poor. Both my parents were around, although there was some stuff there for sure. But, you know, and we had enough money to do the things we kind of wanted. We were pretty quote unquote, not poor, but, um, you know, we didn't always have the money to do everything we wanted, but yeah. And I was a good athlete. I was popular. I had a personality, but inside I was in a battle with my mind. And that's the most important thing I want to acknowledge is like our circumstances do not equate to our mental well-being, right? You can be, and this is why you see celebrities and rich people who struggle all the time. You can have really good circumstances and sometimes those are the people that feel the most empty.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and look, I often think about this idea of comparison and how it is such a, a a really ridiculously hard battle to face within ourselves because there's always a measurement, right? There's always that place where you're you're kind of looking and wondering and scoping out and going, you know, is my life that bad? Is my life that great? And and I've ultimately just come to the conclusion that life is life. It is what it is. I can't control it. And I just try to exist within it. You know, I think very often, and and especially in my case, in order to step onto the pathway of, of this journey to finally take it seriously, um, I, I had to have a rock-bottom moment. I had to have this moment that was really a reflection of me going home, and it was being 350 pounds, smoking a joint, laying in bed at 11 o'clock in the morning, eating chocolate cake, and watching the CrossFit games and being like, what is happening to you, right? And then obviously, you know, my story, everyone listening does too, I won't dive into that. But what I'm curious about is, what was that moment like for you that kind of made you want to reassess? Am I really showing up for myself? Am I really doing these things? But then more importantly, what was the catalyst in you deciding to move forward and creating change?
2: Yeah. So I've always said that I think we need to often go through a breakdown to go through a breakthrough. And in fact, that's when the best breakthroughs happen, the most powerful breakthroughs happen. And I actually think there's this like weird force. I'm not a physics guy, so I'm not going to try and quantify, but I think that the bigger the breakdown, you know, the more potential energy there is for a breakthrough. I, I truly, truly believe that. And that's why now I can, when I am in a breakdown, because we all still have them, I mean, yeah, I'm in an unimaginable place, as I like to say, but I still have my, my, I still have my, my down, my down days, no question. But when I am in those down days, I know that everything I've been through in the past has been the greatest gifts that have forced action in my life and forced me to change and put me on the right path, and given me the feedback so I could learn as much as I needed to. So now I look at them in a different way. And people ask me all the time how I can coach people who have been through, you know, all day long, I'm hearing like really hard stories and people who are going through really hard things. And I don't really let it get to me anymore, because I actually weirdly, and I do not want this to sound like I am underestimating or diminishing the trauma and the things that some people have been through, but I look at them as an opportunity for growth. And that's what I just want to convey to anyone listening. Like that's the first thing you should be thinking when you go through a hard time is what's the blessing here? What is the lesson here? And that's the way I am now. And it's only because of the breakdowns that I've had in the past. Now, your original question was, How did I break through and what did that breakdown look like? Well, I had many breakdowns. I mean, it, you know, what's funny is I don't actually have, Michael, a lot of rock bottom moments. It just, the whole thing sounds like, or the whole thing feels like it was a breakdown. It was like I just was always at rock bottom. And then I'd, you know, I'd have a good day here or there and then I'd go back down. I'd have a good day or maybe a good week and then I'd go back down. And it was finally where I actually found. A, a bunch of CDs of Tony Robbins, like Awaken the Giant Within in my dad's car. And this was like around 12, 13, 14 years ago. And I listened to it. And he was the first person that really actually made me realize that there is way more potential out there. And you can actually change your brain, change your thoughts, change the way you live your life, And you can actually live an extraordinarily happy, joyous, blissful life. And he was the first person that made me realize that that was even possible. And he like instilled this thing inside of me that then just sparked that journey of like, you know what? And I had this mantra, Michael. I just, it's very simple. I just said, I'll always fight it. I almost got it tattooed on me. I just always said, I'll always fight it. I'll always fight it. I'll die trying if I have to.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. And, you know, I'm, Maybe it's serendipity that we're we're having the conversation right now, but recently I've really been on this kick of, of trying to explain the power of, of personal growth because it was not that far ago, 10, 12 years, where I would think to myself, like, this is nonsense. These people jumping up and down and clapping and screaming, and I'm going to go to the conference and pay how much money and listen to this guy and turns out it was one of the greatest investments of my life was a decade ago when stepping into the personal growth journey. And I listen to power within probably twice a year. One it's short and two, I can listen to it while I work out, but you know, it's just kind of that thing. You just step back into a little bit and you go, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. That's something else. That's something else. How do you, how do you stay the course? Right. I, I think that one of the things that happens very often as we get We get fired up, we get motivated, and in a moment, we're like, yes, let's go. And then three days goes by, and we're back to where we were, and we're looking and reverting on old behaviors, and this promise we made to ourselves, we have somehow broken again. How do you stay the course? How do you hold yourself accountable? How do you put yourself in a position to actually be the person and live that life that you think and know you're capable of having?
2: Can I swear? on this podcast you can do whatever
0: you want it's free country
2: oh i love it i love it it's a free podcast i love this michael i'm having fun uh the answer to that is twofold number one motivation man motivation is what messes everyone up and it's what everyone relies on and this is why we are absolutely horrible at following through on things is because we rely on motivation and actually research will tell you that motivation actually only lasts if you start a goal and you embark on a new venture, it actually only really lasts an average of 19 days. That's how long the average New Year's resolution will last. And then when you don't have motivation, it's like, well, all right, well, why am I going to go? I don't actually feel like, and then you get in this debate of like, should I go? Should I, should I, should I go? Should I, should I, should I not do it? Should I, should I, you know, and you're having this debate And you might be able to do it for one day or two day longer, but eventually that willpower is going to fatigue like a muscle. And that's what research shows us as well too. So what we have to do is build habits, right? Habits are the root and fundamental principle of any successful person. Show me a successful person. I'm not just talking cars, money, and And status, I mean successful as in someone who's genuinely like successful in all realms of life, happy. And you show me, and I guarantee you, they can show you habits that they do day in and day out that they don't always feel like doing, that they don't always have the motivation to do. But it's so ingrained as this automatic behavior, the neural pathways in their brain, they've been doing it for long enough that it just is like when you get into a car, you put on your seatbelt, when you know, you just before you go to bed, you grab your toothbrush and you start brushing your teeth. We don't have to think consciously about these things. We don't have to be motivated to do these things. They're so ingrained as an automatic behavior that we just do them. And that's why we need to do the things, the habits, the things day in and day out that will contribute to our success. We have to do them for long enough so that they create those neural pathways in our brain and get ingrained as that automatic behavior. And science will tell us that it takes on average about 66 days to do that. So here's what I do is I, anytime I want to do something and grow in some way, and I have to do something every day, I figure out what is the most, you know, growth provoking activity in that regard that I can do every single day. And I do it for at least 66 days, right? Doesn't matter if I feel like doing it. I remember why. I'm doing it. And that's the key. And I call that why power, because it's way more strong than willpower. You use why power, remember a deep emotion evoking reason why you're doing it and do it every day for at least 66 days, ingrain it as that automatic behavior. And, you know, watch it stick into your life and watch it, you know, create magic. Yeah,
0: I mean, there, there's no question. I, I fully am on board with this. And and to me, I I don't like motivation. I I think it's only a catalyst to get you started. The reality is that anything great that you're going to do in life is going to come through continuity. And it's going to come through doing hard things because like nothing great has ever come easily. And you hear that in its faux pas and it's cliche, but it's true. Cliches are cliches because they're true. And I think about the journey of stepping onto this path and being willing to acknowledge the fact that you have to do really difficult uncomfortable things to get to that place and then leveraging the understanding that on a long enough timeline if you're willing to hold the line you can very likely find success one of the things and since we are two men having this conversation that I, that I want to talk about that I think is really important important excuse me is what what role does compassion play in your life? Because on one hand, yes, of course, you got to go, you have to do it, you have to be aggressive, default aggressive, our friend Jocko Willing says. But for you, what does, what does compassion mean in your life and kindness for yourself on this journey?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And the first thing that comes to mind is um, compassion for self, you know, I mean, obviously, having compassion for other people is actually, quite honestly, most like, pretty easy for most of us. I think most people, it's easy to be compassionate to others. I think we still need way more of that. Trust me. I understand if some people are even mad at me saying that. I, But I think for most of us, especially with a growth mindset, we're compassionate for others. What we really need and what would actually help others and the others around us is if we had more compassion for ourselves. But I have a little bit of a different take on compassion in that the first thing that comes to mind when you ask me about how I have compassion for myself is when I think of like self-love, let's say that's the buzz term that everyone's talking about, self-love, which I'm okay with. I like that. We got to love ourselves. Um, but I really think of it as if you love yourself, and I think that's the question to ask, if you love yourself, what would you do in this moment? Right? If you truly love and care for yourself and your body and your spirit, you know, what in this moment is going to serve and align with that the most? And sometimes that's picking up a book. And I think we have a really good innate instinct of like what we should be doing in any moment that will serve our highest quality of life. You know, I just really have the instinct to know that, you know what, you've chilled for the last hour, you should be reading a book or listening to a podcast or making a, you know, doing some prospecting or doing something in your business that is a revenue generating activity, you know, like, and then I think you have to just really have that conversation with yourself. Like, okay, you've, you know, and this is why self-awareness is so important. You've worked for the last four hours. You're getting a little brain fog. Your brain's a little tired. Your eyes hurt. You know, you have a little bit of a tight feeling in your chest. Like that's when I know like, okay, it's time to go do some breath work and some cold shower and some meditation. And then I also know that there's sometimes where it's like, Taylor, when's the last time you took a day off? Now it's time to literally do whatever the fuck you want today, whether that's watching Netflix, eating ice cream, whatever. And I have those days too. But I really think that it's easier than we think to know what to do in every situation. We just have to have that reflection and ask ourselves, if you really love yourself and have compassion for yourself, what would you do in this moment that's going to serve your highest quality of life and really include all factors and experiment. And if you're having trouble with that, the best strategy, I think, is to get outside yourself and say, if you were your best friend, if you were someone that you love, what would you tell that person to do right now?
0: Yeah, that's powerful. And there's so many things there that we could unpack and dive into. And, and much like you, I often have this question when I look at I go, you work 14 straight days. You're not doing anything today. You're clearing your books. You're not, you're, you have to have this moment, which I rarely if ever get to that place anymore, but on Sundays, I don't work, right? Personal boundaries, without question, not happening because you have to take control over
1: your life. You ultimately, me...
0: I am the person in control of all the things that happen in my life. And without understanding that, it's really easy to get swept up in this idea that you don't have control. And I know right now, without question, there are people listening who go, well, great. That's easy for you guys. You guys are coaches. You do this, you do that. But I don't believe that I'm an anomaly. I know for certain you don't believe that either. What? Let's pause. Let's take a step back and look at this from another perspective. I'm listening to this conversation. I'm super curious. I've listened to Tony Robbins before, but I just can't seem to get my mind wrapped around this. I can't seem to get my life in control. I cannot seem for whatever it is to be able to show up, to be the hero of my own story, to love myself, whatever that thing is. Where do I start? Like, how do I really do this?
2: Yeah. And I mean, I think the key is in the word start. You know, I I really am big on one of my favorite quotes. I say it all the time. The wrong decision on Monday is better than the right decision on Friday. The wrong decision on Monday is better than the right decision on Friday. And it's because action is most important. Now, look, there are reversible and irreversible decisions. If it's an irreversible decision, that's like getting a tattoo, getting married, having a kid. You You got to... Really, like I like to say, go have a beer by the oak tree and put your heart and soul into that, you know, com- into that decision. But if it's a reversible decision, like if it's taking a course or like uh or investing some time or like, you know, reading a book or whatever, like you can always stop in the middle. You can realize that it's not the right path and you can pivot. Right. And I really like to just tell people to start because success is going from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm as Winston Churchill said so just start you're going to fail and it's going to be imperfect action and we need to prioritize imperfect action is better than no action at all right because it's through action that you'll get the feedback and the evidence that you need to then pivot as long as you're aware of it and pivot and you'll eventually get onto the right path. But the problem is, is that too many people, and I did this for years, so no judgment, but too many people are sitting around and trying to think their way into growth and plan their way into growth. And they're so crippled by analysis that they just don't take any action. Now, how do we actually be inspired to take action? Now that comes down to remembering why you're doing it. And you look, we're emotional beings, right? We are motivated by motivation. We're inspired by motivating thing or sorry, by emotional things more than anything. Did I say motivation? I meant to say emotions. Okay. Emotions. You need to find a deep emotion evoking reason why you're doing it. And a hint here, it's usually for someone else. It's usually for your mom, your kids to make the world a better place. You know, find that deep emotion, reason, emotional reason why you're doing it and always have that at the forefront and remember why you're doing it. And then just start, start, yeah.
0: that's it. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and like to, to parlay with that, but also to create a juxtaposition here, I, I think that start is sometimes relaying that why intrinsically first, right? And, and like having that reflection of going, no, 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 you've really let yourself down a lot. Let's go. Let's show up. And then eventually that why can be anything you want it to be. But you you have to have this moment of, for lack of a better term, you're coming to Jesus moment and looking at yourself in the eyes and going, I'm not living up to my own expectations and not without, not with judgment, not with shame, but just acknowledgement saying, yeah, I've got to do this for me. You know, one of the things that that I'm really curious about is, you know, how do you how do you navigate? And I know it's something you're working through and I'm working through this, too. And I think every a lot of people are who are in that personal growth space. Perfectionism. How do you manage this right now in your life?
2: Yeah, man, perfectionism is my biggest thing that I deal with my biggest challenge. It's it's my biggest block. And perfectionism is essentially the idea that you know, if you feel inadequate, if you don't feel like you are good enough, if you have a sense of unworthiness inside, it is the idea and it's the coping mechanism of if I show up as perfect in the areas of things that I'm putting out there that people can judge, that are open and vulnerable to judgment, that if I show up as perfect in those, then I will be rid of shame and judgment, right? It's just this protective thing. But what happens is it actually ends up you know, having diminishing returns, because first off, we can't show up as perfect and everything. And then you spend so much time being perfect in this one area. And then every other area of your life starts to fall behind. So it's just an absolute disaster. So truly, and I know this isn't a romantic answer. It's just been this process of like, I have this mantra that's very simple. It's an affirmation. It's just like good enough is better than perfect. Good enough is better than perfect. And I've actually learned to prioritize speed. And that quote that I said, "The wrong decision on Monday is better than the right decision on Friday," I've really learned to doing is better than not doing anything." And when my perfectionism in the days where it had the strongest hold on me, Michael, it actually prevented me from taking any action at, at all, because if I realized that it was exhausting to make all this perfect, then I actually would just like hide in my shell and I would decide to just like watch Netflix and eat pizza and smoke weed, right It was easier so I've learned that if I just take a bunch of imperfect action, that actually equals success. You look at anyone who's successful, every single thing they've done has been imperfect, but they've just like done a lot. They've done a lot. They've read a lot of books. They've put a lot of content out there. They've, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to be perfect in. And it's just that constant reminder, Michael, like literally over the years of like, good enough is better than perfect. Good enough is better than perfect. Prioritize imperfect action wrong decision on Mondays is better than the right decision on Friday. And after a while, you get used to it. And then that becomes the new conditioning to the point where it becomes unconscious competence, meaning you don't even have to think about it. It just usually happens. And, and then I slip into my old patterns sometimes. And then I remind myself and get back on the right track.
0: Yeah. And you know what's really fascinating about that is I, I battled with that really intensely. And a lot of entrepreneurs especially do um in 2009 actually excuse me 2008 my my then mentor he said something that actually changed my life and and I don't share this often on the podcast some people may know some may not i used to be an international award winning destination wedding photographer and that was this whole different life that i used to live and and one day i was sitting i was deep in editing like going through these photos hundreds and thousands of wedding photos and and i was talking to my mentor and, and he was like, what are you doing? Like, why are you spending so much time doing this? And I go, cause it's gotta be perfect. My clients expect this. And, and it was really funny because he caught me off guard with this. He goes, your clients don't give a, f-. they didn't hire you because you move the exposure up one point. They hired you because you deliver something. And more so the people who are going to see this, who don't know who you are, don't care because they don't know who you are. And that was so powerful for me, man. And that's how I've lived my life ever since. And I love this idea of doing on Monday because that's effectively what had happened in that moment that has kind of forced my hand in so many actions in my life. And I always think about this, done, not perfect because it's never going to happen. Right. But at least you produce the work. At least you put it out there. And that's everything that's in this healing journey, especially. And I think about this, like going to therapy, going to men's group therapy, SA, all the things was always about experimenting, always about just doing the action and then understanding the harder side of it probably is that failure was inevitable. But you said something really beautiful about failure that I also agree with. Failure is data. Failure helps you understand, and failure means that you're on the path. Can you dive in a little bit more? So many people are just paralyzed by the idea that they are going to fail. How do you really navigate failure?
2: Yeah. Henry Ford, I think it was Henry Ford, has a great quote. He says, Failure is merely the opportunity to start again more intelligently. And, you know, I think that. That's really all I would say is it's like, and here's the the other thing that I've really trained myself to do is I actually want to fail. Not that I go out and everything I do, I'm actually intentionally failing. But what I mean by that is if I reflect on my month and I look back and I didn't fail at some, my goals aren't, I'm not working hard enough. My goals aren't big enough. I'm not, you know, really reaching for my highest potential. So I actually really have just reframed. And and that's what I think it is, is it's just reframing as failure is actually a good thing. And I know it sounds so cheesy now. It's like, that's the cliche thing to say is like, oh, failure is, but it, it it, again, like you alluded to earlier, cliches are cliches for a reason. It's because they're true, right? Like failure is A blessing because it, again, like Henry Ford says, it gives us an opportunity to start again more intelligent. And it's just part of the process. It is so necessary. And it actually just means that you're taking action instead of, you know, really, it's the people that never fail. It's kind of like criticism. Like the reason why I like getting criticized is because that's not how I know I'm doing, right? That's how I know I'm putting myself out there. The people that I look up to the most get literally criticized and fail the most out of anyone. So I should actually be looking at it. We should be looking at it as the more we fail, the more we get criticized, that equates to more success. So I've just reframed it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and so much of it is reframing, right? You're changing and reevaluating your understanding of the world based on the evidence that you have that either proves or disproves, hypotheses about the hypothesis about the way that you exist in the world. Um, you know, one of the things I I wonder about is how, how do you self determine the power that you have in your life? And, And what I mean by that is I think often people do things for the wrong reasons while simultaneously believing that they're making the choices based on the right reasons. How do you actually kind of, for lack of a better term, be the narrator of your own story here?
2: You know, if, if I'm grasping what you're asking, this is actually a conversation I had recently, is we very not often really ask ourselves why we're doing things. So, for example, I was talking to a dating coach. Uh, she's a good friend of mine. I had her on the podcast. Well, I'll, I'll give her a shout out, Katie Grimes. Um, she's, she's amazing. And we are talking about, you know, relationships and whatnot. And, and she says that one of the things she asks her clients a lot is, you know, because we're all, well, not everyone, but a lot of us are seeking, if, if we're single, a lot of us are seeking love, seeking a romantic or intimate partner. And she says, we very, you know, often don't ask ourselves why. And what does a relationship symbolize for you? What does a marriage symbolize for you so and this can be applied to any realm of life it's like if you're building a business it's like why why are you building this business you know if you want to make you know ten thousand dollars a month why you know what does that symbolize for you and i think that really all it takes is just like again going having a beer by the oak tree and like really sitting down and like clearing out the noise and like really asking yourself what are the reasons And there's going to be a little bit of everything, right? Like for me, for my business and my growth, there will always be, Michael, there will always be the insecure little inner child that I have that is screaming out that I just want to be accepted, loved, and feel like I'm good enough and adequate. There will always be that little part of me and it may diminish It may even be only 1% one day, but it'll always be there. And I've just learned to manage it. I've just learned to talk to it and have that conversation with it. And sometimes I'll literally sit there and be like, what is my inner child telling me right now? What is that little insecure, inadequate little boy trying to seek right now? And as long as I balance that with other intentions that serve my highest quality of life more... Then it's all good, right? I he can come to the party and he can be there a little bit. I use it as fuel. But, you know, I've really taken a look at like, why am I trying to build this business? You know, and yeah. yeah, a little bit for status, money, um, all these different things for my ego. I mean, I think anyone would be lying if they said they weren't building something for those reasons, but I've just really worked hard on really making sure that it's also genuinely for um, just, you know, bringing something that makes the world better. And most importantly, makes the people around me better and creates these beautiful experiences in my life. So that by the end of my life, I can say that if you put my life into a book, people would actually really want to read it. I don't know if that answered your question, but that's what came to mind.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's beautiful. And that's, you know, that's, that's reason enough. Right. And I think about legacy constantly right and and recognizing that on a long enough timeline I'm going to die before my goals come to pass because that's how high I'm shooting this right and and I think about that and I'm okay with it because it's about just going into it and moving forward that said and and, and I don't I I would be remiss if I didn't ask this question as as two men here sitting who've been on such this incredible journey to ask you this because I know that there are men listening and they are the minority and women. I know you're listening and this will apply to you as well, but I want you to make your men in your life. Listen to what I'm about to ask. Cause I think it's really important. We as men struggle profoundly with the understanding of man up. And, and I hear those words and it makes me, it makes me furious to an extent, right? Because that definition, and I'm so desperately, and I know you are as well, trying to change that narrative around it. I think that one of the ways that you get there is becoming uncomfortably comfortable with recognizing that as a man, you are going to have to go back and comfort the child version of yourself. Talk to me about that journey that you've been on in getting to that place of, of comfort through discomfort with having connection with your child self.
2: Yeah, man. Oh my gosh. There's so much there. I mean, that term man up. Yeah, definitely can be, you know, extremely toxic. Um, I think that for me, I have really had to reframe what it means to embrace you know my masculinity and I was kind of told that growing up or at least that's what like was socially constructed the or the idea that was socially constructed in my head is like if you want to be a man you just got to like bulk up and you know be super mu- muscular and be able to push a lot of weight in the gym and pick up a lot of chicks and like you know be intimidating that that literally and when you're feeling sad and emotional just man the up. Like, come on, get with it. And, and, and that is toxic, right? I, I also have some qualms about the terms toxic masculinity. I think it has a branding problem. I think it's misunderstood and people take it the wrong way. But with that being said, manliness or embracing my masculine energy has been really important in my journey. I was very, you know, with all due respect to my parents, they're, they're lovely and, and truly I love them with all my heart. They did the best they could with what they had, but I was kind of babied and I wasn't, you know, there was no rites of passage. There was no like, you know, like embracing what a true, you know, masculine energy is. And what I actually now getting into what I believe that to be now is it's actually just being able to own your truth. And look, we're all people. And as men, we have our too, right? I experience all the same emotions that a woman does right? And I think, and all the wounds, I have wounds that I have, and it doesn't make me less of a man. What does make me less of a man is not acknowledging those wounds, running away from those wounds, trying to hide them, and trying to show up as someone that I'm not. And I think that one of the most quote unquote, you know, manly things that a man can do is Talk about their wounds, talk about their battles, you know, have a relationship with that inner child that's hurt and to own up to it and say, you know what? This is how I am. This is what I've experienced. These have been challenges in my life, but I'm here to show up no matter what. I'm still here and I might not always be my best self. My wounds might come through, but I'm here to show up. And that's what I'm here to do. And I will do whatever it takes. So that's kind of how I've had to really reframe the whole masculine thing, the whole like inner child. It's like I ran away from it forever. And it was like, what if you just invited to the party? And that's when everything changed.
0: Yeah, and and you used the word acknowledgement. And I think that is, that is such the perfect word to label in this entire journey as being this catalyst for change and being able to step into it. Because we do have to acknowledge like, there's there's nothing easy. And I think often it, there is a huge misnomer. And I, I think it is miscommunicated and toxic masculinity, whether you are on either side of the fence in the way that it's put out in the world still exists. And because it exists and because like you, I grew up, it was about how many cars you had and how many girls you banged and all these things. And, and, and like sitting with that and recognizing like, I don't want to be a part of this. That's not the narrative that I want to have in my life. And and thus reframing my understanding of what it meant to be a man. And and that meant getting in connection with men and going to men's group therapy and all these things. But ultimately, it was about making a decision and and then more so standing up for myself and saying, I'm putting my foot down. This is the way I feel about masculinity and manhood. And you're not going to take it from me or argue with me because this is my choice. This conversation, Kayla, has been absolutely amazing, man. Um, before I ask you my my last question, where can everybody find you?
2: Yeah man, I, I I like to keep it really simple for people. So please go to my instagram kayler.bets and check out my page. That's where, like you'll see everything. You'll see my mental wealth project, which is you know the project that I have. it's it's uh, actually we're rebranding it to the mental wealth podcast. so it's not really a project anymore. It's well, it's obviously a project, but It's uh, going to be branded and consolidated to just the podcast, because that's what we're really trying to focus on. Um, And you can find that podcast anywhere, while most places you find your podcast, you know, Apple, Google Play, Spotify, and the whole deal. And I just always say, like, reach out to me. I would love you to DM me. I'm always down for a conversation and, and willing to chat. Amazing.
0: My friend, my last question for you is,
2: what does it mean to you? to be unbroken? Well, I would say that being unbroken is the same term and has a lot of parallels and is very congruent with my term that I use for my brand, which would be mental wealth. And I think that it all comes down to one thing, Michael, and that's the relationship with yourself and the healthy relationship with yourself and actually accepting loving and being compassionate to who that true self is inside despite all of the wounds all of the and all of your external factors and circumstances as well too and when you create a relationship with yourself where you look in the mirror and you actually really love and accept the person that you're seeing in all of its you know realms that to me is when you become unbroken. Yeah. Beautiful. My friend couldn't have said it better myself. Unbroken nation. Thank you so much
0: again for hanging out with us. Please check out Kaylor's work. He's absolutely incredible. Please like subscribe, comment, follow, share with a friend. And until next time, my friends be unbroken. I'll see you. Thank you so much for listening to think unbroken And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly
1: coaching program. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it.